it's normal for your student years to be a financial grind. You're spending on tuition and living costs, and it's tough to make money when you're studying full-time. The high cost of living makes it extra hard for today's students to graduate without debt, especially if they don't have help from their families. Welcome to Stress Test, a personal finance podcast for millennials and Gen Z. I'm Roma Luzio, personal finance editor at The Globe and Mail. And I'm Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist at The Globe. With student debt, people often compare Canada to the United States. Their students often finish school with debt in the six figures. Our student debt numbers are a fraction of what they are south of the border, and the topic of student debt is not the hot-button issue it is there. But that doesn't mean student debt isn't a growing problem in Canada, one that's set to get worse in the coming years. We'll dig into why that's likely to happen, but let's start by looking at the average student debt load in Canada. That's sitting at around 27000 for a bachelor degree, and about half of students graduate with debt. Now, the average time to repay that debt is about 10 years, so that takes you into your early 30s. The Canadian government has taken steps over the years to keep tuition under control, despite soaring inflation. Rob, have they succeeded? Well, tuitions have been rising every year, but on an after-inflation basis, it hasn't been a dramatic rise. I think what's interesting is the way the government has sort of taken the burden of debt off of students. I mean, April 1st, um, new regulations came into play where there will no longer be interest charged on uh, future and current student loans. I mean, that's huge. And I, I should point out that that's for federal student loans only. There are still the uh, student lines of credit that banks offer, and you have to pay market rates on those. And as we all know, market rates for borrowing have increased quite a lot in the past 12 months. So on the whole, I think the feds have done, done a reasonably good job. They've also increased the grant money available to students by billions of dollars. So um, people will still need to borrow, but the borrowing environment is a little kinder to students than it used to be. Rob, what is the bad news for students today? Rent. Rent and the cost of living, uh, specifically food. Now, I know a lot of people will say that's a problem for everybody in society, but I think it hits students hardest. Um, you know, we're talking about four-figure rental costs. These are students who may only be able to work a few months of the year. Uh, I think the the expensive rent story hits them the hardest of anybody in our population. After the break, we'll speak with Paul Kershaw, founder of Generation Squeeze and a professor at the University of British Columbia about how life for students is getting far more expensive. Okay, Paul, welcome back to Stress Test. Thanks so much for having me back. Paul, with the cost of living skyrocketing in Canada, students are among the hardest hit. You teach at UBC, um, my alma mater, one of the most beautiful and expensive cities in the world when it comes to housing. What are you hearing from your students? Oh, what I'm hearing is really, really worrisome. You know, by comparison with when I was a student a few decades ago, it is so much harder now because you used to think, how am I going to cover my tuition? And now that actually in Canada is quite a modest concern by comparison with how am I going to cover my rent while I'm going to school largely full time, which precludes my ability to be taking on a lot of employment. And the city of Vancouver or the city of Toronto or Hamilton or Victoria, like so many cities in Canada now are hard enough to cover your housing costs as a full-time employee, let alone as someone devoting a lot of time to school. And so we now see more and more students needing to at least contemplate that they might have to rely on a food bank while doing graduate's work, or they might have to actually at certain moments think about having to go to a shelter because of the precarity of their housing. 
we see the hardship from housing in so many ways manifesting itself in our social lives and in our economy. And uh, I think it is especially frightening right now for what it's doing for the, like the post-secondary experience. Mm-hmm. I think there's this belief, particularly among older generations, that the student years are lean, that everyone's broke at this stage in life, that I scraped by and it's okay for young people today to scrape by. What are today's students and new grads dealing with specifically that is different that previous generations did not? Well, it is a moment that was going to be lean because of the, the way in which people are devoting time to study as opposed to work. So, of course, but the, just the sheer cost of rent is such a challenge right now. <clears throat> and also the need to often be further afield from where you're studying to actually find a rent that you might be able to afford. So there's so much more commuting time in between. And I think one other real new dynamic is it was, you know, you know, back in the day, you might've had a one roommate, a couple roommates, but I, I hear grad students talking about trying to cram 10 people into a place. That, you know, that, that just adds a whole nother, you know, community building is part of your strategy just to cope through managing the realities of undergrad or graduate work. And you can see uh, a kind of cynicism start to set in for our students, a a real sense of anxiety, because this is supposed to be the the moment where you're devoting to like getting that extra learning so that you're going to then launch and have access to a job that's going to make it worthwhile having made this sacrifice during the studying years. But it's hard to actually have that optimism when you're going through undergrad or grad school right now because you'll launch into Toronto where you'll have a job maybe pays you 50000 60000 if you're lucky as you're starting out and your rent will consume the vast majority of that. And the prospect of actually not having roommates or thinking about how you might have a little more financial security, it's, it's hard to see leaving with your degree is actually the pathway to achieving that security. Students that didn't have parental help uh, getting through school have always been at a disadvantage to those that did, but it certainly feels like that gap is widening. Is that what you're seeing now with the students that are coming through your university and, and you know, schools across Canada? I think that's the, the case. And you might have thought that the parent who was using their RESPs on behalf of their children, thinking that they were trying to save enough to cover tuition that that was going to be the major accomplishment. And what a big accomplishment it is for parents to have been planning that way. And this is one of the ways in which sort of the deterioration of the economy for a younger cohort is then sort of smacking their parents who are, you know, I guess in these days they're their late 40s, mid 50s kind of thing, if we're talking about those starting an undergrad degree, and smacking them saying, damn it, even we're hurting you because you, you, you're going to be feeling, oh, I didn't, I didn't manage to save enough for my kids thinking about their cost of living going to post-secondary, not just their tuition, but the cost of living is just so shot up. Mm -hmm. It makes me think that it's also incredibly dependent where your kid ends up going to school. If you're, you know, interested in a program or you get into a program that, you know, for example, is at the University of Toronto or in Vancouver, those costs are going to be much higher than if you get into a program somewhere in Quebec or in one of the prairie provinces, university or colleges there. And it gives rise to me when thinking like my niece, she's just about to be uh, heading out next year for starting an undergrad career and has been lucky enough to be accepted into many uh, universities. Her parents are so proud, her extended family is so proud. And it's hard to say to her though, you know, it's one thing to choose, you know, the best program you think or the best school. 
but I strongly encourage you to check out what the rents are uh, and actually choose for that reason in no small part, because that is going to be constraining your entire experience over the, your, your post-secondary career. You know, one thing that comes to mind is that if you're eyeing this massive expense and you're thinking, okay, you know, I have some money coming that will help me for tuition, but the living costs will be higher or there'll be this much. Maybe I need to get a part-time job. Is that what you're seeing? Are you seeing students maybe taking, you know, gap years to spend a year saving before they go to start school? Yeah, I don't have good data to comment on the gap year, although uh, probably somebody does. But on the part-time work, let me be clear, as a university professor, I can say with clarity that the proportion of students now needing to work large number of hours, large part-time work roles uh, to cover their undergrad and their graduate work has so increased by comparison with when I was a student. So I started McGill in 1993. I graduated my PhD at UBC in 2002. So that was my kind of nine, 10 years of being in school. And um, when I was undergrad, it was kind of normalized, I'll work in the summer. That is not the experience of undergrads any longer. Undergrads are so often doing part-time work while they are going full-time to school. We often have a culture that kind of mocks a younger demographic. And I've seen financial institutions do courses like, we'll have adulting 101 at this financial institution to help you with your financial planning. But really, in some important ways, given how this transition from high school into post-secondary doesn't really let you ease into that right now where you're going to like, I'm going to adult, I'm going to be living perhaps more on my own, not with my parents for the first time while I'm doing some studying here. But the cost of living is going to be manageable for in a range of ways. No, as soon as they're leaving high school, it's just such a, a abrupt hit uh, of like, wow, talk about adulting right away because- the, the cost of living is ferocious at picking at every part of your pocketbook. Mm-hmm. And it, that really would detract in a lot of ways from being able to try other things. When I was in my undergrad, some of my spare time at least went towards writing for the university paper, which is where I sort of, you know, tried it out to see if I like it. If I had been working a part-time paid job at that time, that wouldn't have been possible. That's true. And it also it really it impacts how I run our Master's of Public Health program at UBC. It, it impacts how we have to view the CVs of students applying to us, because we're often in the past would have said, I'm going to judge the CV in terms of like the, the relevance of the work experience. I'm like, folks, screw asking for relevant work experience any longer. You got to, we just have to understand people are having to put in hours wherever they can to make enough money to cover their food and their their living costs. And so we can't expect that kind of volunteerism uh, as much on the CV by comparison with just having the opportunity to financially get by. The current approach is just fundamentally eroding their ability for students to excel. You can't be your best learner. You can't be your best knowledge producer if you are so frightened by where you're going to find shelter or where you're going to be able to provide food. What would you say to a young Canadian who's considering applying for university or college in the next few years or for parents that have um, you know, kids that they expect one day will go to college or university? What kind of a message? Or Yes, there. I, I still say do it. I still say do it because the data are clear that those with more education will out, be able to outcompete those with less education uh, in the labor market. Does it get you as much as what education got us some decades ago? The answer is no, but it still does better position you in this complicated labor market. So do that. But I, I, I do find myself wanting to encourage people 
Think about your educational decisions in part in terms of where could it take you to find a cost of living that was not as oppressive as you'll find in the GTA or Metro Vancouver. And in the past, you know, you could have said, oh, you don't have to go that far afield, you know, go to, go to Hamilton, go to London, go to Victoria, go to Kelowna. But those things are increasingly challenging too. So uh, the advice I gave my niece, who I love and adore, is think about where you might like to end up that would be affordable. And then what would be a pathway to get there? And there can be so many rich lives to leave to lead as we are managing to balance our pocketbook pressures with a range of other aspirations we have in life. And may we then also be mindful as we're trying to hack this broken system for ourselves individually, how do we use our educations to then inform our voices as citizens to call for better public policy, to transition our goals for our economy to promote thriving, not just a rising GDP. Because right now, rising real estates contribute to a rising GDP, and that is not giving rise to thriving for many younger people, even if it's making somebody like me wealthier. Our next guest works in marketing at an arts organization. She graduated with $40,000 in student debt about 10 years ago. She's still paying it off. So my name is Lana. I am in Toronto and I am 33 years old. Lana is from St. Catharines, a city near Niagara Falls, Ontario. She moved to Toronto to study art history at the University of Toronto in 2008. So I was looking at local places. I was looking at Brock, which is St. Catharines University, McMaster in Hamilton, and U of T in Toronto. And I mean, the draw for U of T was definitely partly like living in the city, but I found that that had the best program for what I wanted to do. Cost wasn't a big factor in her decision, even though she wasn't getting help from her parents. I come from a family, and I think I'm quite unique in the people that I met at U of T. A lot of my friends are are people that had support from their families. So I did not. I intentionally took a year off between high school and university to save up as much as I could. And I paid for my entire first year that way. To be honest with you, yeah, money was not factoring into my my choice. I wanted the best education that I could get in the best place that I could get it. And it felt like that was the place to do it. Tuition was expensive, but Lana didn't question the price tag at the time. I think when I started, it was about five grand a year. That's not chump change. That's a lot of money. But rent was my biggest concern in Toronto. So I I did residence for one year, and I'm very grateful that I did. It was wildly expensive, um, but I made friends that are now like siblings. And then after that, I paid about 800 a month for half of a two-bedroom apartment from 2009 to about 2014, which now, you know, you can't, you can't get anywhere like that. But tuition costs, yeah, I guess I, I just saw it as like a thing that I had to do. And this is something that I'm thinking about a lot when I talk to younger people now. And, and when I look at my, my peers who work in the same field as me, is it necessary? I I was raised to think that you had to get a university degree. It's something that you must do if you want a good income. I didn't see it as something that was negotiable, if that makes sense. I paid what I paid and I didn't really consider the cost at the time. Now looking back, you know, all of my peers in marketing, but no, no one I know in my field has a marketing degree. 
So, yeah, I have wondered after the fact, you know, was that was that so necessary? When she graduated, she owed about 29000 through Ontario's student assistance program called OSAP and about 12000 on her student line of credit. More than half of the debt was to cover living expenses, even though she worked throughout her undergrad degree. I had a, a position with the university, like a work study, and I worked in other places in my field. So at, at minimum two jobs, at most three, throughout my undergrad. OSAP plus work could not support me in Toronto. So I took out a, a line of credit. I, I don't think I took out the line of credit until my second or third year of university. I, I did take that year off to save up a lot of money and um, pay for as much as I could for my first and second year of university. But then for the remaining years, I felt like I needed a cushion. She's aggressively paying down her line of credit. The federal government move to make student loans interest-free has also helped but the debt definitely impacted her life as a young adult. I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is that a lot of people in my life have had their schooling paid for. And I noticed this, a difference with my even my partner, my friends, people that have had things paid for that are now like, if they have extra money after rent and costs and cell phone bills and all of that, they can they can put that towards savings. They can put that towards... Things like an RRSP or a TFSA, I'm talking about travel, I'm talking about the things that the people want to be doing at my age. I don't have that luxury. I'm just paying down this debt. And the debt isn't going away anytime soon. Oh God. I hope that I can make some career jumps and that I'll be able to pay it off by 40. And that's, that's very ambitious. I would say right now it's less of a burden emotionally and financially because emotionally I've decided that debt is okay. I have a lot of complicated feelings about it, but it's okay. And logistically, financially, with this interest freeze that the government has done, I feel a lot better about holding this particular debt. Lana is happy about the decision she made, but she says there's no way she could do it now with the higher cost of living. Uh, yeah, I have no idea how someone in their mid-20s or like early 20s or t- late teens would would try to establish themselves here. It's to have a roommate at $1,500 is crackers. And, you know, even if you have a part-time job or you graduate and you have an entry-level job, people are paying, what, 40 k if you're really lucky. That's, it's nuts. After the break, we'll hear from Globe and Mail personal finance reporter Erica Alini on how rent is driving up the cost of living for students. Erica Alini is a personal finance reporter at the Globe and Mail. Here's our conversation. Erica, you're currently researching the average cost of renting a bedroom in a shared house or apartment in Canada for another story. The reality is that this is how a lot of students live. That's how I lived when I was attending university. How much can a student expect to pay if they're living in a big city? Let's start off with Toronto or Vancouver. So in in Vancouver, the data varies a little bit depending on the platform, but you're looking at anywhere between 1100 a month and 1400 a month on average. And Toronto, we're looking at just under a thousand to uh, thirteen hundred a month on average. 
Uh, so um, that's <laughs> that's quite shocking. I, I find that is a lot of money for a student. How much has that risen on a year over year basis? Um, so I only have sort of year over year data for one of the platforms, and that was Kijiji. Uh, and so Toronto, we're looking at a twelve percent increase since last year, and uh, Vancouver is over thirty percent. What are some of the other cities or locations that you've seen the biggest change in terms of rent costs? So that's what was really interesting. It's one of those things like I, I've used this phrase so many times talking about the housing market. It was shocking, but not surprising. Where like I expected that it would still be very expensive in a lot of other places beyond uh, Vancouver and Toronto, but it was still shocking to see the numbers. Um, and so the, the basically the gist of what the data shows was that the Atlantic provinces are getting quite expensive. Uh, like you're looking at 800, 900 a month for a room in Halifax. Uh, St. John is becoming uh, quite expensive. In southern Ontario, um, a lot of the c- cities where you would have large student populations, like I'm thinking... Um, Hamilton, Waterloo and Kitchener, uh, London, you're looking at 800 to over 900 a month for a room in a, in a shared home. Uh, and really a lot of Ontario, uh, a lot of Southern Ontario uh, was above 800 a month. Okay, I want to get back to housing in a sec, but what are the other uh, major financial pain points for students these days? Well, certainly uh, groceries, just the cost of food, right? That's the one bit of the, uh, you know, inflation that kind of has stubbornly kept going up and up. The other thing is just the cost of debt. And so in undergrad, you may be able to get by with grants and loans. But um, if you go to graduate school, particularly if you're doing pursuing a, a professional degree, like you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a veterinarian, then um, the amount of debt that you incur, like we're seeing, you know, six figures of debt, uh, student loans are not going to cover all of it. A, a lot of it is going to be that generally what, what people do is they take out a student line of credit, which has variable interest rates. And so now that we've seen this, uh, this incredible um, spike in interest rates uh, over over the past you know year since since March of last year, then those costs are also piling up, right? The, just the cost of borrowing on a student line of credit. How are all these factors changing the student experience in Canada. You know, if I was a student looking at this and I didn't have significant parental help, what kinds of things are students considering now to try to keep costs under control? So I think it really limits your choices, like assuming that you are planning ahead, right? Because sometimes students don't have the awareness to do that, right? Like they will rack up a lot of debt and then the reckoning moment comes when they graduate. Like we, which I frankly, like it's understandable. They're very young, right? Uh, if they have no guidance, it's it's hard to fault them for, for not knowing at the get-go at 18, you know, what to do. Uh, but if they have the foresight, then this really cuts down or can cut down on the choices that they have in terms of where to go to school. 
And so maybe it's, I'm going to need to go whatever uh, postgraduate uh, institution is close enough that I can commute from wherever, um, you know, I live with my my parents, uh, or if I want to move out, because we have to remember, um, staying at home is not an option for everybody, um, especially in low-income families. There's an expectation that you're going to move out, or there's just like the setup is it would be impossible for you to, to pursue an undergraduate degree uh, staying at home, right? So you have to move out. Uh, and then you, you you really have to look at where's the place where I can, you know, when housing, housing is, is cheapest. Um, and so this these developments in, in rent, you know, uh, rent increases, like it, they could shift where students go for school. So in, in Atlantic Canada, Atlantic Canada has traditionally had an edge um, from that point of view because, living costs were, were lower, right, than, than other parts of the country. And that was one of the attractions um, of going to school, um, you know, perhaps in, in Nova Scotia. And now if you're thinking about Halifax, not so much, right? So maybe you have to rethink and, you know, maybe you're going to end up somewhere in, you know, maybe you're going to end up in Edmonton or you're going to end up in in Saskatchewan or or Quebec if, you know, um, language permitting. How much of a game changer is having parental help with these costs going to be in the years ahead? I think it's going to be huge. I think this is a thread that I, I see when it comes to young people everywhere. Uh, your parents being able to help is going to make a tremendous difference. And, you know, when, when, when people think about parental help, like we have this idea of the bank of mom and dad cutting this gigantic check, right? Uh, to pay for all your tuition or, or, or a big down payment on a house. And that certainly is part of it. But parental help can also be like the ability to stay at home, like to live at home uh, throughout your undergrad and and beyond, uh, and to stay at home and save up uh, in the in the you know first several years of your career. What are the repercussions if you're starting off life with higher levels of student debt? So that's a thing. So I often hear right that um, student debt in Canada is not that high. And so sometimes I take issue with them because, you know, if you look at the the average among students who have debt, we're looking at, you know, 28,000. And so to begin with, you know, that's not nothing, right? Especially when your starting salary might be 50,000, right? Um, but right now, when you have that, when you have, you know, you're facing monthly rent of you know, around $1,000 for uh, a room in a shared apartment. Uh, when you're facing housing costs, like when you're facing having to to save so much for a down payment on a house, if you ever want to be a homeowner at some point, uh, it just becomes like a huge financial crush that, that comes from many sides. Looking back, student debt levels in Canada have actually been a bit of a good news story. We haven't seen much of an increase at all in average debt levels over the years. The future looks challenging though. High rents and expensive living costs will put more of a financial burden on students than in the past. Roma, what should students take away from today's conversations? One, be strategic in what you study. Make sure there's a job market for grads with the degree you're getting. And don't exclude the trades. Canadians need them. 
Two, going away to school is part of the student experience, but is it worth tens of thousands of debt? If you have the option of living at home while you study, consider it. You'll save so much money. Three, post-secondary degrees give you an edge. So leaving school with debt is still a good investment. Thank you for listening to Stress Test. This show was produced by Kyle Fulton and Emily Jackson. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. Thanks to Erica, Lana, and Paul for joining us. You can find Stress Test wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends, especially those gearing up to go away to school. Next up on Stress Test, we talk to people who have completely given up on home ownership. Some millennials and Gen Zs believe buying a home will never happen for them, and they're okay with it. We discuss alternative financial goals when home ownership is off the table. Until then, find us at theglobeandmail.com. And thanks for listening.